Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. A friend of mine the other day asked me, what, what does a culture critic do? Uh, It's a very pompous, very pompous uh, label I gave myself when I first started here at KPFA. Uh, I talked a lot about the zeitgeist and trying to pin down what the hell is going on. Now, uh, that was 32 years ago. I was was trying here at KPFA to talk about the arts and about, uh, what is it, the way things are going and whether or not the, the... the agenda, the progressive agenda, was being aided by uh, the books and the movies and the film. You know all that stuff anyway. Emily Nussbaum, the New Yorker's uh, uh, TV critic, call it culture critic, she has a new book out. Well, I don't know when it came out, actually. Uh, it's called I Like to Watch. <laughs> I think of Shirley MacLaine in being there as a kind of, uh, well, never mind, naughty, naughty. I like to watch. Anyway, what she tries to say, well, I don't know what she's saying. She says that it's her business. Anyway, what she's getting at is that she doesn't want to be seen as a prude, but she she wants the privilege of being able to criticize uh First of all, feminist works, because we've got so many of them. Good, good. But also, she's trying to, she's trying to, well, I guess, put, put television in the same box with the books and the plays and all the rest of it. Uh, upscale, that's what it is, upscale. She mentions the Sopranos and their reasons for that. Uh, <laughs> Edie Falco, the woman in The Sopranos. She'd done a lot of talking about what that was all about, the uses of violence. Uh, Emily Nussbaum mentioned the fact that in the Game of Thrones, the whole premise of that interminable series was that sexual violence is at the back or the beginning or the, uh, (laughs) the essence of political, uh, change, uh, how do you get to be the king or the queen? Uh, you go to war or you marry it, yes. A- actually, there's a lot of that going around. There are a lot of TV films about the Elizabethans 
and how marriage was the way to uh, rule nation states. You know, you had to marry Spain, and Spain had to marry England. That, never mind. You know all of that stuff. But whether or not it's all about politics or whether these shows are all about what's happening in our world, that kind of depends on <laughs> where you sit, as we always say. What you see is, you know, the eyes with which you see it, that kind of thing. Uh, we know all of that. Uh, what you are, yes, is what you see. What you see is what you are. Oh, no, no, never mind. Years ago, when Pauline Kale was our culture critic here at KPFA, uh, I, of course, admired her work. No end. Her, her book was called Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Pauline Kale's book, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. She had some of the same, some of the same thoughts, perspectives, you know. Uh, the point, of course, is that some people see uh, one story, other people see another, you know. Archie Bunker uh, was obviously a satirical character, and we were supposed to take him as an object lesson in uh, bigotry. But, of course, as the uh, the man who made the show uh, <laughs> pointed out, yes, what you see is who you are, and it is all in the family. All of us have bigots in our families, or at least prudes, anyway. I made uh, a rather weak effort, at least in my own mind, to put down in words what I thought criticism was about. I don't like the word criticism because it always means you're going to put something down. I tried to explain to students once that criticism is about helping you to enjoy or to understand what you're seeing, possibly to uh, enjoy it more than you would if you didn't think about it. Uh, always, especially young people, say to me, oh, don't, don't critique the movie, you're going to spoil it for me, you're a spoiler. That's probably true, but uh, my efforts, at least as a school teacher, I'm a recovering uh, English teacher, of course, uh, my efforts were in the direction of trying to help students look for, look for progressive uh, change. I'll give you the worst, the worst anecdote I know, the, uh, I was going to say the late Bill Cosby, anyway, the great Bill Cosby, a major icon in our culture, uh, he had a show all about a black family, it was kind of new at the time. And the struggle, the struggle to get a poster, a poster about uh, about the, uh, let's call it the revolution in South Africa, the change of government, the, uh, well, the coming of Nelson Mandela to the presidency there, uh, to get a poster about this put in the son's bedroom in the show, that is to show uh, that there was a, an awareness in the family that there was a, an uprising in South Africa. That was the work 
of years just to get that little change made. Never mind. Uh, Never mind the anecdotes. I tried to write a book. I called it Mind Over Media. And that was a little too little too vague once again. I should have just said all about the movies. I said Orson Welles used to say that uh, the greatest the greatest possible uh, change, the the uh, the best tool, the best educational format uh is television uh, will change the world, movies, film, all of it. Gore Vidal said if there's going to be a liberal education for the young, it will have to be on television anyway. I wrote this book, Mind Over Media, and I'm going to dig into it just to try to pull out a couple bits about what I was trying to do uh, in my in my efforts at cultural criticism here on KPFA. Let's see what I wrote back in the day. This would be way back. This would be 1977. In the book Mind Over Media, I write, quote, (laughs) quote myself, yes, in Oscar Wilde's De Profundis, footnote, this is his great poem written when he was in prison, uh, In Oscar Wilde's De Profundis, he writes that most people are other people. That is, their thoughts are someone else's opinion. D.H. Lawrence wrote that most men don't know their own feelings. They know only the feelings that have been diddled, diddled into existence by the exploiter. Now... Well, I am not quite so pessimistic about my race, about the human race. I do believe that some of us have lost touch with our deeper feelings. Our sensibilities are exhausted. The humiliations and deprivations of modern life blunt the feelings, crush the spirit. Now, the meaningless quality of much of today's work, that is, uh, art is just as dehumanizing as the overwork suffered by earlier generations. Uh, We are distracted at every turn. Somehow, we no longer have leisure. Yes, leisure. We have vacations, yes. But we have no time to really think. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's agony, agony. Yes, It's so hard to think, Uh, really agony to think twice. And we certainly have no time to absorb or reflect on what is happening to us. Now, this gloomy state of affairs is due in no small measure to the political system under which we live. In most circles, the critical faculty is suppressed, is treated with suspicion, Primarily because it interferes with consumerism. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Shirley MacLaine, what was it? She said at one of those ceremonies, she said, we must do what we can to dignify commerce. Right. Consumerism is our national religion. 
life itself is a commodity bought and sold. Ah, think back a century or two. Ah. In today's world, the ad men and the ad women will do damn near anything to pick our pockets. Greed stains our culture, soaks our sensibilities. It has replaced grace as a sign of our intimacy with the divine. Footnote here. When all this uh, was written in Mind Over Media, my book, I'm glad to say uh, <laughs> we... We were on the verge of the golden age of television. I was talking about old network television. But almost everything had commercials nowadays. If you're willing to pay money, yes, pay cable, you can get rid of the, the commercials. How about that? Aha. One damn thing rather than the other. Anyway. Today, our so-called critics, uh, that would be back in the day in the 70s, the critics make their livings by accommodating these sleeves and the soap opera that make up the bulk of our popular art. Popular art. Uh, now, most of this material is tainted with the pornographic mindset. The mindset which believes that people and things can be had. <laughs> yes, we can buy cars, women, countries, the earth itself. Uh, this is a sadomasochistic premise, and it underlines much of our storytelling, uh, portraying souls without longing. Yes, a world without feeling <laughs> hearts and souls, hearts and minds. Now, in 1987, this is back in 1987, the screen was hit by a wave of sadomilitarism. And now, uh, that began with the Rambo mania. It's still with us. These revenge pictures were dismissed by serious critics as cartoons. They're still out there, yes. They sell the most all around the world. Uh, they broke box office records around the world, China, Africa. Images are very mysterious, like icons. They tend to persuade us to worship them. Yes. Isn't that strange? You see a rape scene and you forget that in the next, the next part of the story, the rapist is caught and put away. What sticks, sticks to the roof of the mind like peanut butter is the rape scene itself. Now, you take a savage satire like a Full Metal Jacket. Some of you may be old enough to remember Full Metal Jacket. And you may even be old enough to remember sentimental pictures like Platoon, Gardens of Stone. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm, fellas, oh gosh. Fellas, oh, they build themselves. 
as anti-war pictures, yes. They are showing us the worst that can happen. And they say, isn't this awful, you know? Now, all this stuff is simply waves in the wake of this warrior cast that's waiting in the wings, waiting for a chance to go to war again. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? That's just what happened. (laughs) You remember George Bush the Elder saying, we're going to kick the Vietnam syndrome. Ah, the United States, yes. Ah, call out the Marines. Now, if immorality is only the failure of the imagination, and I think it is, then the cynicism and sentimentality of, uh, what is that, Uh, the late late 20th century, is a uh, malade de fin de siècle, that is, the malaise at the end of a millennium. Yes, indeed. Once upon a time, that was back in 1900 and something. And then it was 2000, yes, 2020. And then it was two, what is it? Two, nine, eleven, oh God, 2001. Oh, years, years, they they burn, they burn into the top of my brain. We have this unease, and I keep telling myself that all this will presage, presage, rebirth, uh, that it will put an end. We're coming to the end of that dark age depression the decadence of those moments in the past. Yes, we had to go all the way down and hit bottom. Yes, you think you've hit bottom. Oh, no, there's a bottom below. There's a low below, the low we know. <laughs> Hopefully, and I believe it to be true, hope, hope. Hope is the rope we hang ourselves from, but it seems to me that things have changed, things are getting better, and that's because major artists, writers, performers, thinkers have got something together and put it on television. Now, the question is, who's watching? Always in the past, it was distribution. Nowadays, it's so difficult, we ask, ask our friends, If they have seen these esoteric films, mostly historical romances, those are my favorites. And frankly, uh, not too many people make the effort. Uh, Anyway, I, I do think that never in history has there been so much, so much to delight in, to hope for. I mean, even decadence had his moments, but... Never have there been so many films and television series to excite the mind and the eye. Film, images, yes, pictures. That's universal language. Don't have to speak English or Chinese or Russian. Uh, Pictures, the cinematic catalyst of our new age. 
every time I see television pictures of uh, people where television is uh, well, uh, they they usually have a little a little TV set in front of a whole village. You know, the uh, the whole notion that everybody would have a TV set in their uh, home that's pretty new stuff. But uh, actually, almost everyone everywhere has access to some television. Uh, uh, And the, what is it? The beautiful stuff from Garbo to Brando. uh, Movies have mirrored our moods and our myths since, oh, the beginning of the 20th century. A hundred years, a whole century of thought and beauty, uh, what, Matthew Arnold used to call sweetness and light. Film, images, and pictures, this this has taken on some of the work of religion. Now, orthodox religious preferences used to be a cause of contention, you know. <laughs> we break up with people, yes, the contention of personal relationships, you know. Uh, Pauline Kael pointed out that most couples, most couples were likely to break up at the movies. You know, the sort of thing is still happening. Uh, uh, I remember the arguments, the woman, uh, she will love the red shoes and uh, he, he wants to watch Bad Day at Black Rock. I had Spencer Tracy, so it wasn't all bad, but See, men's pictures, in quotes, versus women's pictures. This is a new course uh, in cultural uh, anthropology. Indeed, indeed it is. Uh, Chick flicks, we used to call those movies. Uh, Actually, lately on Turner Classic Films, I've been watching film after film uh, from the 1930s, what I would call truly early feminist pictures, most of them made before the uh, Hayes office, before the, <laughs> the the big changes when, you know, they slammed the door on, uh, well, let's call it uh, human sexuality. Uh, they said no more of that, and they... They saw Mae West and they said, no, let's have Shirley Temple, but it is more complex than that. Uh, I think that uh, in my experience, anyway, the worst, the worst ideological splits usually uh, occurred. They came up after an Engmar Bergman picture. (laughs) I can remember so many times, uh, well, actually before actually getting to the the uh, movies, the male in the picture, the guy would say, no, he couldn't stand Angmar Bergman because it caused him to get in touch with his feelings. I have a long list of the Angmar Bergman pictures that men were just, if, if not afraid of, they just didn't want to look at that stuff. They wanted to escape. They wanted to see a shoot 'em up. They wanted Clint Eastwood, right? Uh, now, 
the pictures that I think lately uh, in today's world with Turner Classic Films, the ones that excite me and make me remember how things used to be, how people used to know what was going on but couldn't talk about it. Uh, Let's see now. Think of Barbara Stanwyck's pictures, maybe Babyface. Uh, Yes. Um, And my most, most favorite is called A Free Soul with Norma Shearer and Lionel Barrymore. Uh, Pictures from the early 30s when you see women who are really, really caught up in a world, uh, well, let's call it in patriarchal pain. And they try so hard to, what is that, declare their independence. And, of course, some win, some lose. Uh, I would recommend for those who uh, like to pick a movie for their students, I would recommend uh, Pat and Mike. A wonderful movie with Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. And there are these wonderful lines like, 5050. The woman is, Catherine Hepburn, is uh, shaken. Her capacity as an athlete is uh, is that uh, crippled by her boyfriend the minute he comes to watch her, you know, uh, her tennis, her tennis game falls to pieces. But her manager, a real human being, Spencer Tracy. He finally figures this out, and he and she become uh, life mates. 5050. Same thing happened in real life. Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Pat, and Mike. I think that's the most optimistic feminist movie from that period. Uh, a lot of the films, well, sometimes. Sometimes in the other films, Catherine Hepburn has to be subdued, subdued. I love the one uh, recently, Keeper of the Flame. She plays plays the wife of a man who was a, a what is that, a Nazi hero. Uh, but nobody knew that he was a, a fascist and that he planned to take over the country. But she knew, and she was the Keeper of the Flame. But in the end... She exposed him and uh, the amanuensis, the secretary, the the guy that was helping her husband. She allowed her husband to uh, die in a kind of accident, but uh, she was trying to save the image and kill the man, but that didn't work. She had to expose him, and of course she is shot. And at the end of the movie, Spencer Tracy emerges with this... Uh, dead, dead hero. And the end of the movie, it says, she died for her country. I love it. Uh, it was made just about the time that World War II was going going to uh, shatter the world. Uh, interesting picture, very gloomy, yes. Keeper of the flame. No way, girls, no way to protect the image of fascists. Uh, Look around. I've got a list. I've got a little list. (laughs) Let's get these fascists to come out of the closet and let's let the women expose them. It's going on right under our uh, noses. Uh, Anyway,
I'm going back here to dig into this book that I wrote many years ago called Mind Over Media. And very strange that half a century ago, I <laughs> I was right on target. Same old, same old. See what I say. Once upon a time, I write, I used to ask new acquaintances what were their favorite myths or fairy tales. I'm going to save that for another time, yes. Uh, my list includes The Informer, 1955. Odd Man Out, 1947. The Third Man, 1948. Black Narcissus, 46. Portrait of Jenny, 48. And Gone to Earth, 1951. Next time, this has been Jennifer Stone. Go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Debuting the Summer is a poetic story weaving dance, voice, and imagery that centers on three powerful seeds that live inside each of us, breath, mind, and voice. Star Seeds takes a look at what the world could become if we focus on how we are alike rather than the differences that generate criticism and war. Arts Unity Movement invites you to the New Ground Theater Dance Company presentation Star Seed and new works from the New Ground Corps members. The performance takes place at 7 p.m. July 27th at Canada Theater, 4200 Farm Hill Boulevard, Redwood City. This event is wheelchair accessible. Funds raised will benefit Arts Unity Movement and New Ground Theater Dance Company. For more information, go to www.newgrounddance.com or